I don't know how many of you think you could read faster than that, but I know I couldn't. Um, he uh, read it very smoothly, and I appreciate that very, very much. Um, this has been an interesting time for me this last uh, few days because uh, Reverend George Wilson came into town and um, he is preaching these couple of weeks in the Cantonese congregation and then will preach for us uh, the 1st of March. Um, one of the things I enjoy about being around him is that uh, uh, Reverend Wilson has been my mentor and my friend for, I guess, 35, 40 years. One of my professors at seminary, I mentioned him last week in my uh, article that I put in the bulletin, which some of you read, actually. I won't guarantee that all of you do, but some of you do. And um, one of the things I enjoy about being around him is he makes me feel so young. You know, he was born in the latter 1920s. And so, um, compared to him, I'm doing, you know, I'm very, very young. I'm a youth. Uh, Not compared to you guys, I know. But... um, It's been a a privilege to be around a man that has served the Lord so sincerely and so deeply for all of these years and continues to pastor even to this day. So he had to literally take off work to come up here to be with us because he was still, he's still pastoring in Oklahoma at this time. Today we're going to be looking at, uh, continuing to look at the book of Revelation. I'm trying to move through this with the dream that we will have a broad picture and lack of fear in reading the book of Revelation. Some people are very, very uh, nervous about reading it, but I think if you'll pay attention, you'll find that the book is something that, while it has a lot of symbolism found within its pages, it is also, in the broader sense, a very helpful book in challenging us to live our lives each and every day, with meaning and with purpose. We must have an integrated faith. If our faith is built on actions that we take, somewhat to prove that we're Christians, and it's not something that comes from the very being of who we are within our soul, and from our internal burden that was given to us by God, our actions really can become pretty weak and pretty meaningless. Today I've placed a, a kind of a, um, an insert in the bulletin with the hope that it will help to give you some kind of a structure in where we're headed. Most of the words I've uh, uh, gone ahead and left as they are, but if you'll look on the front uh, page where it, the, without the diagrams, the back side, If you look at the bottom, down at chapters 12 to 14, you'll find that's where we're headed today. But as a quick review in your mind, I want us to remember that basically the book begins with the reminder that the study of this book is valuable. We need not fear. It's written to the churches. It's written to the pastors. It's written as a teaching guide, a challenge, as John writes and says that uh, indeed it's a vision for what he understands. And then in chapters 2 and 3, we can see clearly different types of churches that exist. And a kind of a warning of the different churches. Chapters 4 and 5, we get a view of what it's like to worship 
in heaven and what, what it's like to have Christ at the center of everything, surrounded by elders and surrounded by angels and, and worshiping in a unique way. And as they are worshiping, of course, we find the scrolls. And we find the scroll that's there with the many seals on the scroll and the questioning that comes asking who can open that scroll and the answer simply being that Jesus can open it. Jesus has the power. He can look and see what's inside. So we look then from chapter 4 and 5 on into chapter 6 and it presents a series of seals and different things to come. And many of us, via movies or via study, are aware that those, uh, we usually talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And of course it reminds us there of the white horse, the red horse, the black horse. But we need to remember that the white horse is, is, is a representation and to remind us that indeed an antichrist will come to our world, that there's going to be war, there's going to be famine, there's going to be death. There's going to be difficulties that are coming to our world. There are going to be martyrs. We're going to see judgment and wrath. It's a good overview of the fact that no, not everything is going to get better. We all dream and kind of think, well, I hope things get better. I hope things get smoother. According to the Scripture, because man is sinful, because man continues to reject God in general. The mass number of people have found a way to reject Him and not follow Him. There is a, a, a time of, repu, uh, of, of, of uh, response from God as He indeed does bring judgment. But then there's a break in chapter 7, an interlude if you will, and that's sort of to give a little bit of confidence to the church. We have to remember that the church... After Christ uh, returned to heaven, we have a period in, in that time frame in there for 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, 100 years when we begin to see what kind of persecution and struggles and challenges the church was under. It had a lot of uh, pressure upon it. And so very much this book is written to give encouragement. I don't know if you need spiritual encouragement today or not. I do. You know, I'm not sure we're nearly as in touch with our spiritual reality and identity as we should be. Our spiritual identity does not need to be defined or divided from the rest of our being because our spiritual identity does impact our values and our morals and our goals and our perspective on life. And yet, for many people, we find ourselves dividing, this is the Sunday me, and this is the other daily me. Chapter 7 says, Church, put your heart to rest. There will be a time that Christ will meet us in the air. It goes on in chapter 8, and then it has the trumpets, and as I worded that earlier to say, how loud does a trumpet have to be to wake us up? Again, it's a spiritual question. How sleepy are we? No, I'm not talking about physically today. Some of you are sleepy because you, you were up late last night. But how sleepy do we allow ourselves to become? 
spiritually. It's nobody's fault but our own. I don't blame Satan for that. I blame me for that. I allow him to be over there and me to be over here and to have a division between the two. And when I do that, that's wrong. So there's a, the trumpets come and they challenge. And, they, and there's a scourge of the earth and the seas and the rivers. And it talks about, within those Scriptures, what the result of that's going to be like. It's not a pretty picture. It's saying we can expect difficult days to come to this world. But remember, in chapter 7, the church has been put to rest. They've been removed from the picture. So, beginning here, we begin to see what it's going to be be like for the lost. The ones that remain. Chapter 10 is another interlude. Chapter 10 is a time where it says, indeed, there's a little book that has bitterness and sweetness. And John is told to take a bite, eat this, because the gospel is sweet to those that receive it, but it's bitter to those who are judged by it. There is truth in the gospel, but it threatens many. Then we go on, we look at chapter 11. And it gives a couple of witnesses that have witnessed this situation. They prophesied. That means they were doing evangelism. They were telling the truth of the message of God, but they were killed for it. Sounds an awful lot like Jesus. He told only truth, and the result was he was killed. But they're resurrected. It's not over at that point. God is power above life and death. Chapter 12 to 14, where we are today. It says in the Scripture that of the signs we're looking at, the first one we look at is the pregnant woman that's clothed with the sun and the stars. It gives a description that sounds a little strange. If you actually get out your pencil and pen and draw a little picture of what it would be like to be clothed with the sun and 12 stars and all that, it's a little bizarre. But again, there's a lot of symbolism within this book. When you see sevens, or you see the number ten, we're talking about completeness, universal identity and and, and concept. So we see some of that through the numbers that we find in here. And twelve, many people will say that they believe that this twelve stars represents the twelve tribes of Israel. So when it goes through and it talks about the pregnant woman, it's usually referring to the woman being Israel and birthing a Savior, a Messiah. And we know who that is by the name of Jesus. And the Scripture goes through and it says, Clothed with the sun, the twelve stars gave birth to Jesus. And the red dragon, sign number two, again, seven heads. Ten horns. The dragon throwing out its power. And yet, uh, we can see that the tail swept, in verse 4, the tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment it was born. He had a plan. 
Satan's plan, we know. And yet we remember, even in the story, as we remember about Jesus, there was a man named Herod that had a desire to find Christ and to eliminate his life. War broke out in heaven, verse 7, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. War in heaven. As I read through this part, verses 7 through about verses 9, and it talks about Satan and the world going astray. It challenges me because, you know, we like to think that what we're doing in here is not just an academic assignment, but is actually assisting us in our practical lives. A lot depends on how we listen. For me, to recognize that war broke out in heaven over a Messiah is practical. Why? It tells me that to follow Jesus is my Savior and Lord, I should be expecting opposition. You know, for some reason, people think you become a Christian and now everything's going to be smooth. When in truth, according to Scripture, once we make a commitment, a serious commitment, I'm not talking about a Sunday morning, yeah, I know who Jesus is commitment. Those kind of people can be found on every corner. I'm talking about the kind of commitment where we actually would dare to use the word Jesus is my Lord and mean it. You know, again, you could say Jesus is my Lord all day long. The Scripture has examples of the virgins when they said, Oh, Lord, Lord, but take care. And he says, I never knew you. Vocabulary words are not what saves us. Vocabulary words do not always reflect our relationship. Using the word Lord, Lord doesn't necessarily mean a lot. Only you know in the depth of your being this morning whether you're walking with Jesus. You may have been baptized. You may be here every week. But you know in your heart whether or not Jesus is the Lord of your life. War broke out in heaven. Are you willing to be a part of the battle? We won't be in this particular battle, but there is war that happens over spiritual matters. It goes through and shows Jesus is, is the victor in the war. It shows that these people were, or, or these angels were, these demon angels were thrown out of heaven. But the victory came. In verse 11, because of the blood of the Lamb. Jesus' blood. His shed blood for us. Now, talking about blood always seems a little strange, but we're saying He gave it all. He gave His life. His blood is holy blood. Victory in Jesus. Not victory in Donald Gardner. Not victory in Jeff. Not victory in Philip. Not victory in any of us. Victory in Jesus and our dependency on Him is where that comes from. A number of years ago, I was in China with a brother that was sharing with me about some other things. And I find, I've been wondering for a long time, 
what was going on with his leg. Because every time he walked, he, had, he, was, he was very crippled. And he shared with me one day when I asked that while he was in prison, some of his guards had broken his leg, but he didn't have a doctor, and so his leg healed back incorrectly. I mention this to say war has difficulties and has casualties. The challenge for us is to ask ourselves, is the faith that I have in Christ worth it or not? What level of commitment have I got? We continue to look through the Scripture, and we can see that the woman was given uh, the ability to get away in the story. So Israel was able to be given a, a, a time of uh, relaxation or, or break from the situation, even though she was sought after by Satan, the dragon. And it says that the Satan continued to seek after her, and it said he spewed water like a river. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing up the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. That's us, the church. If we don't expect difficulties in our church, you know, the conflicts we have, interpersonal conflicts. We have different values, different views on things, different opinions about things. My goodness, the things I've heard about. Even in our own church, I remember one day talking to some people and we had a response toward the fact that we dared to use candles at the Advent service. And I thought, wow, amazing we can become that petty. We can worry about Advent, worry about choir robes, worry about shoes or colors of socks, worry about all kinds of silly things. There's a real war out there, and we worry about nothing. We've got to learn to major on those things that are important. The third sign, the third sign, the beast from the sea, the sea beast. That's when we start talking about the Antichrist. Now, we've already mentioned the first sign was the woman and the child. The second was the dragon or Satan. The third sign is the sea beast or the Antichrist. Now, the Antichrist obviously is a false messiah. That means we have to learn. This is our responsibility within the church. Is Sunday school important? Is training important? Is discipleship important? The answer is yes, yes, yes. Why? We've got to be able to distinguish right and wrong, good and bad, not just memorize it. You know, when I, I remember when I was young, I had two very good friends. One was actually my third cousin. Wow, she could play the piano, just play it so well. As long as you put good sheet music up in front of her, she could play anything. She was really good. I had another buddy of mine, and his perspective of the piano was, if you've got music up there, that's nice. If you don't, that's nice. And he just tore up the piano. Uh, almost literally. I've watched him really play hard. You know, it's different approaches of how they, they, they went after what they were playing and what they were trying to do. But you know, We've got to ask ourselves, as we look at the Antichrist, 
Some things are real, some things are, are not real. Some things are, are traditional, some things are not. We've got to be able to distinguish the two and know which one is more important to us. And it's not just an issue of whether we have taken the classes to be able to read the music. If it can't come from within your soul, I would listen all day long to Larry, the guy that played without the music, and I would listen to the one that played with the music uh, an hour. She was great. She was my cousin. But I wanted the ones who, who had their soul in the music. She didn't have her soul there. She could play it, but there was no feeling. There was no emotion, no involvement, no connection. But Larry, man, he was unbelievable. We've got to distinguish. We've got to know good and bad, right and wrong. The beast came from the sea, the third sign. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given to the beast, and they had also given authority from the, or to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? So people were worshipping the beast. They were worshipping Satan or the dragon. What was the beast about? The Antichrist. He was there to say, that God was not real. He was there to slander the name of God. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose name have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who is slain from the creation of the world. We have to choose. Now, we already know that the Christians, the normal Christians, are already gone. But God has continued, and we will see this today, over and over and over. He keeps stepping back in and saying, one more time. One more time, I'm going to send evangelists. One more time, I'm going to have someone talk to them about my love and my care and my concern. But there will be a day when I say, enough is enough, when I will have gotten my message out there and people have rejected and I can go no longer. Paul in Thessalonians speaks of the Antichrist. He says, Concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you. In order not to be deceived, we have to know what we're looking for. Again, is discipleship important? Bible study important? Yes. Discussion about Bible important? Yes. Discussion about our walk with Jesus important? Yes. He says, don't be deceived. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For the day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness the Antichrist, is himself over everything that is, called, uh, that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up as God or in God's temple, uh, proclaiming himself to be God. This is in 2 Thessalonians 2. The Apostle John writes in his letter, Dear children, 
This is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now as there are many Antichrists that have come, this is how we know it is the last hour. There are many things that deceive us. Many people, many that seek to have us believe that they have the right answer. Who is the Antichrist? And what is his purpose? We know his purpose is to pull us away from God and to set up his own power, to put in his own position and to have us worship him. He has those goals. How is that going to happen? We have to recognize in Scripture there are several things that tell us his goal as an antichrist is to set up a world government. You see, the thing is, we've got United Nations that have all of these countries coming together to a certain degree to do some united work. And yet, for most people, they would say it's still not enough. It's still not working that well. And so, one of the goals by the Antichrist will be to show that he is capable of leading and guiding a united effort. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. That's in 2 John 1.7. A second thing that the Antichrist will be doing is trying to set up a world economy. Well, we know that the economies of the world in which we live are already blending more and more. Many people back several years ago were beginning to question when the euro began to start functioning in Europe. The second thing... Again, a world economy. He has forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he has the mark. Now, why is that important? If you can't buy or sell, you can't eat. Another thing, of course, we all know that there are ID cards being made today and there's a discussion more and more in many countries that we'll eventually get to where we have ID cards placed under our skin so it'll just be a quick blip that way to be able to answer our question. A third thing the Antichrist is to do is to set up world religion. You know, pluralism. We live in a world already where to say that I believe in Jesus is already taxing for other people to hear. They, they don't mind you saying you believe in Jesus, but they see you as being a bit closed-minded. Because um, you're somehow saying that means that yours is right and mine is wrong. My belief. It says that no one has the right to... Ex- pluralism. No one has the right to an exclusive truth claim. But the Bible speaking says... Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no one under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Acts 12.12 Paul wrote, For us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Our faith does not permit us to worship Jesus Christ plus something else or someone else. Folks, we compromise all the time. We listen to other people and we say, you know, I don't want to offend him, so I don't want to tell him too much. But if we don't share the love of Jesus with people, they will see 
the wrath of God. See, that's, it's very simple. Love of Jesus offers them hope. The wrath of God is, is God's judgment. And it can come. And it will come. So if we don't have a burden from the core of our being to help people come to know Jesus, we have to ask ourselves what our own faith is. Do we realize we have the most valuable commodity, if you will, in our faith with Jesus? Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Three of those signs that we're talking about. Sign two, three, and four represent an unholy trinity that we can find. Sign number four is the false prophet. And the false prophet is one that supports the Antichrist. His main role is to be a support and an encourager to follow the Antichrist. It goes through and it talks again as we look at this description of what the, of what the false prophet is like and what he does. And basically, again, it's a challenge on our understanding of pluralism. To hold one belief, one God and one wife, one standard, one standard of morals and things like this is viewed as silly and closed-minded. The Scripture says that we all have to make a choice. One choice is to accept the number 666. One choice is to identify with Satan. One choice is to follow the Antichrist. A second choice is to follow Christ. But as I've said, you follow Christ and you get His stamp on your forehead and you're also intentionally choosing a difficult path. We must stop thinking that we've chosen the easy path as we come into our Christian walk. If our walk has become comfortable, possibly we're no longer taking serious our faith. <coughs> the fifth sign after the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the second beast, uh, the false prophet, was, is, is the one where it comes to the uh, 144,000 and the Lamb. The 144,000 evangelists and the Lamb. Again, people would say that this is another opportunity one more time that God is saying, I'm going to continue to put forth opportunity for even those who have rejected me previously. These are the ones at the last half of the tribulation, that period of seven years, which again is in your insert on the, on the back. The tribulation... That last three and a half years, there's going to be opportunity for some, but just because there's opportunity doesn't mean people will take the opportunity to follow Christ and to repent. And the Scripture says that, that there will be martyrs during those days who hold strong to their faith, and there will be others who surrender. The sixth sign goes on, and it's talking about the three angels. So there are actually five angels, but the first three present messages. The first is the message of evangelism again. The second message of the second angel is one of reminder that indeed God is going to change the environment and that ultimately God will defeat uh, the political systems that de deny Him. And the third is to be a warning to say, 
for those who continue to follow the beast, who continue to follow the Antichrist, there will be judgment. So again, God is saying, I'm never going to give up. I'm still hoping that some people will make a significant change with their lives. But also, we can see martyrdom that will occur in verse 13 of chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 13 says, even in those days there will be, for those who have made that decision in the latter moments to follow Christ, there is still a price to be paid. And the question is, are they willing to walk through the difficult days? I would say to you and to me, just as they will have difficult days after the church has already been taken out of the main picture and new Christians have come about, we need to use our freedom for Jesus today. So as I look at this Scripture, I don't know where you go with it, but to me it's so exciting because it's saying, use my freedom. Don't waste the opportunity. Care about my brother. Care about my sister. Care about my mother, my father. Care about my students. Care enough to be a risk taker. You see, it's not easy to tell people about Jesus today. When I first moved to Canada, one of the first things I remember in conversation was how in the school system, even at Christmas, people talking about Christ. You can talk about Santa Claus, but don't talk about Christ. We're going to see more of that. It's only a beginning. And finally, the seventh sign are the reapers. This is truly when the day comes and it says, enough is enough, judgment is coming. And the reaping of the world is to say there will be judgment of those who have chosen not to follow God. This will be a high challenge for people because indeed the Scripture describes at right at the end of chapter 14, the, the, the amount of blood that will be found on the streets up to 184 miles of just blood up to the up to about the height of, of the above the, the bottom of the belly of a horse, 184 miles. It's saying that there are that many people who reject God and who need to change. So I want to quickly review. You've got the woman and the child as a sign. That's Israel and Christ. God reaching out saying, Israel, you're my chosen people. And Christ from within our midst is the one who has come as the Messiah. The second sign, the dragon, Satan, saying it is a battle. It, there is a war. It is not one-sided. Satan is trying in every way to get your hearts and your minds. The sea beast, the Antichrist, part of the unholy trinity, and also the false prophet, who will come and try to conjole men to follow. And men will follow. And men will worship that which is unholy. The fifth of the signs, 144,000 evangelists will follow and be with Christ. The sixth is the angels of evangelism uh, and uh, punishment related to the Antichrist. And the seventh is complete judgment by God. 
We can see these things. We can understand these things. We can grasp that God is holy, and God is fair, and God is just. But what does this have to do with you? The question is, are we prepared? Judgment. It is not what we do for God, but who we are in Christ. What I emphasize there is, it's not what you memorize to look like a Christian. I don't want to hear any of us are like Christians. I would like to hear that we are deeply from our very core followers of Jesus. We're His disciples. It's not what we do for God, but who we are that matters. And integrated faith is needed by us. The question, do you care about your moms, your dads, your friends? Do we care enough to run a risk? Or do we want to let them go through these kind of terrible days? These days are coming. The warning is here. The Scripture is here for a purpose. It's not intended just to be a cute little story. What do we do with the story? How does the story change our lives? Does it challenge you to be more? Does it challenge me to be more? How is your walk? And is Christ truly Lord of your life today? Let's pray. Father God, we see and appreciate the fact that You have placed the future out in front of us. We appreciate that You have given us more than just a hint of what's to come. You've given us clarity that that there will be good days and there will be bad days. We appreciate the fact that the church is not going to have to go through all of these experiences. But Father God, help us to use each and every day and moment we have. Help us to use the time we have now that our friends, our relatives, people we don't know, that You might place missions in our heart wherever it is. And that we would follow because we realize You've created us for a purpose. Father, help us to be burdened with Your burden and not just our own. We thank You for Your love for us. And we ask that You would guide us each and every day and that we would have the courage to follow. In Jesus' name.